This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 89 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, we're going to look at how restorative justice works in school, why it can have a big impact on student behavior, and how you can get started. I usually record these episodes well in advance of the day that they are published, and so my original uh, intro to this episode was already done before we had our most recent school shooting in the U.S. here uh, in Parkland, Florida. So I am recording this extra intro uh, the morning of February 18th because I felt like I didn't want to release the episode without at least mentioning the school shooting and trying to put this episode in context. Um, I, I had this episode planned, you know, weeks and weeks ago. So obviously I didn't know what was going to be happening in the days leading up to today. And so I feel like so many of us educators, parents, um, just regular citizens, we are really at a loss at this point for figuring out how to prevent these things from happening. And everyone has opinions, and those opinions are super polarized. So <laughs> I don't really want to talk right now about um, the whole gun issue. I don't feel informed enough <clears throat> about how all of these things work. But I do feel like one piece of making this problem stop has to do with the way that we uh, build relationships and um, address problems in our schools. And something like restorative justice is a different approach to the way that we typically handle wrongdoing in our schools. And when I say wrongdoing, I'm not talking about something as extreme or severe as a school shooting. I, I, I don't even know yet what I think about how uh, restorative justice fits into addressing a problem like this after it's already happened. But I do feel like in implementing something like restorative practices in, in your school in a holistic way could go a long way toward preventing something like this from happening because it focuses so much on uh, knowing your kids, on the community, knowing your kids and on um, – you know, teachers really uh, building those relationships between students and between teachers and students. I feel like, and again, I I don't feel like I have any answers to this myself, but this seems to be something that could be a part of of a solution because it seems like a school that is doing a really good job of implementing restorative practices would notice if a child was feeling so marginalized or even demonstrating the signs of a person who was um, maybe about to do something like this uh, because it emphasizes so much building those connections and maintaining them. So 
this is already a long episode. I'm going to stop for now, but I just I just wanted to sort of put this episode in context and just also not let this date pass without acknowledging the struggle that we're all having right now and the heartbreak that we're all experiencing. Um, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, play the original intro um, and just tell you all that I love you and thank you for sticking it out. And no one would blame you if you decided not to, because this is a very scary time. Thanks. A student threw a chair at a teacher. That's the story I heard. It was a story meant to illustrate how bad a particular group of kids was. And now I can't even remember who the teacher was or where the school was located or even the gender of the teacher or the student. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've heard two or three different stories about students throwing things at teachers each one told with the intent of showing just how bad those kids were. But every time I've heard a story like that, my first thought has always been, holy crap, what kind of a relationship did that teacher have with those students? What was going on in the minutes, days, and weeks leading up to that chair being thrown? And I know how that sounds. It sounds like I'm blaming the teacher or that I don't think a student should be held responsible for doing something as awful as throwing a piece of furniture at another human being. I don't think that. But here's what I think probably happened in all of those schools. The student was removed from class and promptly suspended, maybe even expelled. And if and when that student returned to school, nothing much was done to repair that student's relationship with the teacher or to really address the other issues that may have been going on leading up to that chair being thrown. And if that kind of work isn't done, if we focus only on making our punishments stricter, then things like chair throwing will keep happening. And nobody wants that. Getting students to behave in a way that is conducive to learning is a perennial challenge for teachers. On this podcast, I have dealt with the topic a number of times, and every piece of advice, all the tips and hacks and bits of wisdom, they are all useful. But one approach to addressing problematic behavior, restorative justice, really stands on its own because it focuses on building relationships and repairing harm rather than simply punishing students for misbehavior. I've wanted to share more about restorative justice on my site for years, but every time I started, I found that the topic was just too big, too complex to handle all at once. Usually I try to share things that teachers can understand and apply right away. And the concept of restorative justice just wasn't letting me package and deliver it in a tidy little bundle. So rather than try to do that, I'm going to just start with an overview. This will not be a comprehensive study of restorative practices, but an introduction designed for teachers who are just starting to get interested in this approach. Helping me do that is my guest, Victor Small Jr. Victor is a middle school administrator in Oakland, California. He's been using restorative practices for several years and supports other teachers through a Twitter chat using the hashtag RJLeagueChat and a Voxer group called the Restorative Justice League. 
where educators talk about the challenges they're facing in implementing restorative practices and help each other work through tough situations. In our interview, Victor walks me through some of the basics of restorative justice, called RJ by many of its practitioners, and talks about how teachers can get started. Over on the site, I've put links to the resources Victor mentions, plus a few book recommendations that can help you learn more. Just go to cultofpedagogy.com, click podcast, then go to episode 89. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Pear Deck. Every day, teachers present material through PowerPoint or Google Slides presentations while students watch from their seats. The problem with that model is it doesn't really engage students. Some will tune you out, others might be lost, and not every student wants to speak in front of class. With Pear Deck, you can take that same presentation, add interactive questions, and send it straight to student devices so they can participate in real time. As students engage with your Pear Deck, you see their responses on your device, so you can tell right away who's getting it and who needs help. Built by experienced educators and tested in the real world, Pear Deck is integrated with G Suite for Education and is a fun way to get every learner participating. Pear Deck is offering my listeners a free 30-day premium access trial. Just go to PearDeck.com slash Cult of Pedagogy to redeem. I'd also like to thank you for the reviews you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Reviews are really important for a podcast success, and I read every one of them. If you haven't left a review yet, but you like what I'm doing here, Take a few minutes, head over to iTunes, and let me know. Thanks so much. Okay, let's learn about restorative justice in schools. Victor Small, Jr., I would like to welcome you to the podcast. Hey, thank you. I'm happy to be in the podcast. And we just got done having a little chat beforehand, and, we, and we've got a lot to cover, so we're going to just get right into it. Um, let's just start off by just letting people know sort of what you do and how long you've been practicing um, restorative justice. Absolutely. Okay, so um, I'm this year. I'm a, a middle school administrator in uh, in Oakland, California. Um, I work at uh, Brewer Middle School. Um, I've taught with uh, RJ for a couple years, um, but this year I'm bringing a restorative mindset into my role as um, uh, as as administrator. That's you know really in charge of behavior management with um, you know the eighth grade at my school. Got it. And. And I've heard you just now say RJ, which having been in, I'm lurking in your restorative justice Voxer chat right now. And so I'm used to now hearing that abbreviation RJ, but you say RJ instead of restorative justice, which makes a lot of sense because restorative justice is a mouthful. Yeah, it is. It's, it's okay. you know, it is easier. To, and it feels, it feels, RJ just rolls right off your tongue, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. Just, just such a, such a smooth way to say it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so our goal here, you know, knowing that RJ is is huge and complex and does not have one sort of like single clean, like just do it like this and here's what it is. I'm planning on doing more episodes on this. So this is going to be sort of the intro for people who are really just, they've heard about it, they, they want to get started, but they just don't really know where to start. So we're going to try to give people a really good introduction. And I think yeah. you'd be a good person since you've been, you've been right in it for a couple of years now. So yeah. how, would you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. how would you explain restorative justice to someone who had never really heard of it before or just was starting to hear it? How is it different from the way that schools traditionally handle misbehavior? That's a good question. Okay, so let, let's start with this. Um, first of all, restorative justice is a system of justice. So what we have 
rife throughout our country is the criminal justice system, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's based on assigning punitive measures for, you know, messing up. Like if you, if you commit a crime, you know, even if the crime hurts someone else, um, you still have to, you know, pay a fine or you have to go and do time behind bars. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. That's, that's really how we deal with issues, um, based on that justice, right? Or those are, those are the consequences of the outcomes. Um, restorative justice, instead of, you know, giving you, um, jail time or a fine, we focus on really the harm that was created to the person. So say you stole a car, for example, right? If we're applying restorative justice to, you know, um, you know, the country, right? If you right, stole a right. car, um, instead of you necessarily doing jail time, really what you would have to first do is make sure that you restore the situation to the person who you actually harmed, which would be the person whose car you stole, you stole, right? So you would have to restore that some way. Either you'd have to get them their car back or get them a new car or, you know, and apologize or something like that. Mm -hmm. Basically the debt that you owe to society is to that person that you harmed. And so when, so when we apply this system in a school setting, what we're essentially teaching students is your behavior has effects that isn't necessarily, you know, out there in the world somewhere. Your behavior affects people. And so in order to in order to pay it forward or to 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 deal with the consequences of that, you're going to have to figure out how to make things right. And so when we talk about restorative justice, we're talking about that, the system, that that systematic idea. When we talk about restorative justice practices, we're talking about the things you're doing as adults on campus to ensure that students are recognizing that they're doing something wrong when they're doing something wrong and finding a way to make it right. Got it. And, and so um, one of the things that, you know, is a is a large misconception when um, when schools uh, start trying to switch to this, that, you know, they're always really interested in making kid, you know, trying to make kids be restorative without doing the groundwork. Um, and, and part of the groundwork is that, you know, building the school together as a school culture. So finding ways to get kids, you know. Um, to spend time with each other, to get to know one another, to understand who each other is. You got to give them time to grow with one another. Basically, you're doing team building. You're doing community building. You're, you're having events going on where kids are putting on the events and they're running the events um, and they're working together and they're learning more about each other. And, and that's how you're able, only if you're doing that, if you're setting the groundwork like that, would you be able to get students to be more able to be restorative, if that makes sense. Right. And and so one of the misconceptions you're saying is that, that people just jump right to the practices that happen after uh, some wrongdoing has happened, as opposed to looking at all the sort of proactive work that happens before you ever get to the point of an incident. Oh, yeah. No, this is, you know, the reason why I'm, I'm really 
a very big proponent of RJ is it, it if you're doing it right, you're going to prevent a whole lot of issues from occurring. And and then you have and because you've set the groundwork, you've given yourself easy ways to fix them once they start. I mean, point blank, if you've got everybody in the school liking and getting along with one another. Well, when they do something wrong, it's a lot easier for that kid to apologize. Yeah. If they know each other well, they're going to probably they'll be less likely to assume a a negative intent when there are misunderstandings. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, and but also you you keep them from doing harmful things to one another because they they know one another. I mean, we we as human beings are like that. You you don't usually do mean stuff to your friends all the time, you know, right? Um, If you know you're less likely to do something, you know, messed up to someone that, you know, and if you know everyone and you're, you mildly get along with everyone, well, you're probably not fighting and yeah. you're, you know, you're probably not bullying a whole lot. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to process this now as if I'm one of my listeners and I'm thinking, okay, if I'm a teacher in a school that uses traditional discipline and they they may be thinking, well, we do a lot of team building stuff already so what's wrong with suspending a kid if they get out of line? Like, let's talk for a minute about the whole notion of zero tolerance and what the problem is with exclusionary discipline. Oh, that's easy. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> point blank, when you tell a kid, when you send the kid home and you tell the kid that they can't come to school, what you're basically communicating to the kid is that we don't want you around. Right. Um. And saying that to anyone is hurtful. Let's be honest. I, I don't care who you are. If you're somewhere where you know you have to be uh, because people tell you you have to be there and you're told that you need this to be, you know, um, valued in society and be productive in society. And you're told by that same place that you can't be there because of something you've done. You're being communicated to that. We don't want you. That's how it's going to be taken. Also, what is the kid going to be doing at home? I mean, let's think about why. Let's think about the origins of school in America. School in America wasn't started because we wanted to you know, teach kids necessarily. That's something that developed over time. Originally, this was a large scale babysitting service so the parents could work. And often mm. we have two parents in the household working. So who's going to be there at home monitoring a kid probably in a situation with a TV, with a laptop, with a tablet, with their phone, with video games? Are you seriously believing that you kick that kid out and communicate to that kid that we don't want you here, that that kid's going to be sitting at home the whole time doing their homework? Seriously? Yeah, right, right. You think that's going to happen? I, I mean, fine. If you think that's going to happen, by all means, you know, but it's it, they, they even don't consider that to be a punishment. But we right. do for some reason. Right. Well, and then and then consequently, typically the kid ends up further and further behind in their classes and then they feel more and more not a part of the school, and then it just has a snowball effect, typically. And I think even without somebody knowing the statistics, we've all seen this as teachers, that you know, a kid that gets suspended frequently is not going to be a kid who's succeeding in school. 
And they certainly don't come back to school going, you know, hey, I was wrong. Sorry about that. Right. I've never seen that happen. No, never seen that no. happen. I mean, and, and, and I've been teaching for, uh, before I went to, this is my first year in administration, I was teaching for like uh, 10, 11 years. I mean, it's, it's just, you don't see kids coming back from suspension going, hey, my bad, you know, not, right, not very right. often. Um, right. And that's the other big piece that RJ addresses is that t- typical, you know, discipline doesn't ever really get to the point where the kid is remorseful about what they did and trying to repair it. It's just push them out and then just reintroduce them to school without much thought. Totally. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, right. again, if you don't do the groundwork, don't do the groundwork, you know, suspension can be done correctly. There can be ways that you do it right, but you have to know the kid. You have to know the situation and you have to be intentional about setting up systems to make that work. But again, it should be like the absolute total last resort, not the first. I gotcha. Well, and then that's what that's what zero tolerance policies in schools have been shooting for is we need to teach them a lesson. We need to communicate to everybody. Look, we don't tolerate this type of behavior. And and so that seems to be from the reading that I've done on my own, that seems to have been a big motivator towards introducing RJ into schools is that we've just got this system now where kids are getting suspended for defiance. They're, they're, they're all kicked out of school and they're getting arrested. I mean, let's let's yeah. think about yeah. let's think about this. Yeah. I mean, how think about how poor of a job you're doing, like as an educational system. when you have students that are forced to go into the system, right? Like they're forced mm-hmm. to go into the system. We know what happens if, you know, students are truant. After a while, you know, people get taken to jail. People get fined. Like we know that. Right. Students are yeah. forced yeah. to go to school. And so if they're forced to be there and somehow throughout the system of their lives, they end up in jail or in prison as a result of being at school, a place that's supposed to be a place of learning now. Right. Yeah. Like exactly how is that on the kid? OK, I'm going to answer you like somebody who really believes in zero tolerance. Because I want to, I want to make sure that those people are not turning this off. I want to make sure that their <laughs> questions get answered. Yes, they're, please. They're, please. they're gonna, they're gonna say, they're gonna say. So you're telling me that a kid who shows up and throws a desk at a teacher, mm-hmm. we're just gonna talk to him about his feelings and make him apologize, and he gets to just come right back to class. <laughs> okay. First of all, first <laughs> of all, there's so much there to that. Um, I know, I know. I wanted to throw it all at you at once. So there's so much there to that. I mean, I think that's so if you if you are intentional as a teacher about creating personal relationships with your individual students, no one's going to throw a chair or a desk at you. Right. (laughs) It's always been my belief, too. It's not going to happen. So that's the first thing. Like, again, preventative. Right. Mm -hmm. There are measures to do after we get into that situation, right? So we have to actually sit down and wonder, why did the kid throw the desk or the chair at you? Had you done something to provoke that? If you had not done something to provoke that, why did the kid do that? It doesn't seem, it it seems insane to me that 
anyone with some sort of rational mind would pick up a chair and throw it at someone without being provoked in some way, shape, or form. Maybe the student believes that you did or said something that is completely out of line. We as we as adults have to have to own that. You can't do and say whatever you want to another person that's attempting to become an adult. They have feelings, they have they have <laughs> they have emotions too. Mm-hmm. And they have less control over them than we do. Right. Right. So like when you look at it from the perspective of we know that what's coming into our classrooms at times can be a bundle of emotions because we have no idea what happened when they went home. We have no idea if they got into a fight with their parents. We have no idea if their parents are getting drunk. Mm -hmm. We have no idea if they're being beaten or, or if they had to fight their way literally to school or (laughs) if, if, if someone jumped them on their way to school or if, if we have no idea of this, these kids and individuals are so complex that we can't just say, hey, you threw this chair, Mm -hmm. goodbye. We've got to figure out exactly what is going on because I'm guaranteeing you that's not the normal, hey, I'm getting up to come to school today. Guess I'm going to throw a chair (laughs) at someone. No one does that. No one says that. There's no one. And if you believe that, if you honestly believe that a kid intentionally woke up that morning, came to school with the mindset of I'm going to throw a chair at a teacher, then I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure. You don't need, Ooh, you don't need let to be me teaching. Not, let me not get yeah. to, I don't no, need to get no, that. No, no. I don't. <laughs> and yet, and I think it is that mindset, maybe not necessarily in those words. I think the way that I've seen that mindset more than anything is sort of the kids today mindset or these kids in this neighborhood don't know how to behave or their parents aren't teaching them manners. Like, so they don't necessarily think that the kid had that mindset ahead of time, but they think, well, th- this this child has basically got no, um, no no training, basically, well, or whatever, and so they just feel like they're a lost cause already. Well, that and 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 that's that's kind of that's kind of the other part of this, right? If you dehumanize mm. someone, mm. right? When you when you refer to anyone out of their name, right? Because they're not these yeah. kids; they're Jeremy. Or Michael, mm. or Matthew, or you know, Tayshawn. That's who they are, right? When you refer to them as these kids today, and you lump them all there, you're dehumanizing them. You're making it easier for you to look at the kids a certain way, rather than investigate what is going on. That's good, Victor. <laughs> because if you know what's going on, you know who they respect. You know who's important in their lives. You probably have a better shot of getting them to not throw a chair at you (laughs) or 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 actually reach them and get them to be a part of the class okay let's let's move to let's get into some specifics about what rj actually looks like sort of on a day-to-day basis there are some kind of common features and practices that people typically associate with restorative justice so can you just yeah. sort of run down a couple of those that, that you've used and that you typically see in RJ schools? Yeah. So um, I, I should say not typically in RJ schools, typically in RJ schools that do it right. There you go. Good. <laughs> I have to say it like <laughs> okay. that. I have to say it like that. Because you, 
you have to you have to be intentionally doing these things. So uh, the teachers have to be intentionally trying working to create personal relationships within their classroom. So um, they're doing things like, you know, having circles and telling kids about their lives, telling stories about, you know, what happens to them, you know, um, getting the kids um, a chance to have an insight into their own personal culture, um, giving the kids a chance to talk about their own cultures. Um, one of the things that's really huge um, that I really love is, um, you know, just asking, you know, just take role asking a question, mm. um, you know, and it, you could, it could start with, um, you know, it could start, you know, really base level. Hey, what's your favorite color? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and just work its way deeper um, each day. Um, and that way, that's a that's a good way to get kids to, uh, you know, get to know each other's personalities. You get to know their personalities. They get to know your personality because you start answering the question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doesn't take long. Maybe, you know, maybe it adds a, an extra five minutes to take and roll. But, you know, how long was roll going to take anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they can do that while you're doing a do now or a bell work or whatever you want to call it. Um, real easy, you know, real easy stuff. Uh, you know, one things that, you know, um, you also want to do is you want to do icebreaker games as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, it reinforcing them getting to know one another, um, giving them a chance to get to know you. That's going to be really important going forward. Um, you want to give them challenge type games that are safe. Um, you know, puzzle games to work on together that are safe, uh, because you want to build that growth mindset. Okay. Um, and that's that's important with this as well, uh, because if kids know that if they believe that they can and you've created by getting having them get to know one another, you've created uh, you're creating a community of support for the child in your classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it gives them the ability to um, get some support if they're struggling. OK, good. Um, and, 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 and these are things that you want to do. Um, these are all things you want to start doing like day one mm-hmm. when you start this. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it, it, it's, you always want to, what's really good about restorative justice and it being preventative, you're, you're thinking of the, the community you want to help create. I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna need to give them opportunities to have input into the rules and, you know, all that other stuff. But, you know, building building the community that you want to want to impress on them is, is pretty helpful as well. Um, now, there's when when things go sour, you know, um, this is helpful because then you can have healing circles and you can have mediation circles, um, you know, because if you if you've laid the groundwork and, and those type of circles are, you know, when things go bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When there's like a death in the family or um, something happens, God forbid. Um, I've seen schools use healing circles for suicides. I've seen schools use healing circles, loss of a teacher, mm-hmm. um, teachers being fired, teachers being, um, you know, things that go wrong because we know it could happen. Right. What is it? What does a circle actually look like? I mean, I'm picturing literally people sitting in a circle. Are they in chairs? Is there a certain structure yeah. to the way it's run? <laughs> I've seen them run a lot of different ways. I mean, um, I like I like chairs. Mm-hmm. I like chairs. I don't like desks. Okay. Um, because you know, you put something in front of them, it, it's not really a circle. They need to they need to be nothing needs to be separating them but air. Okay. 
for me. Okay. <laughs> Circle. Uh, so I like chairs. Um, some teachers have them standing. Okay. Um, it really does depend on, you know, um, the, 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 the configuration of your classroom, okay. really, um, what you're, what you're privy to. Um, is I've there seen, like an order that people go in? Do they take turns? Is there a, a person in charge of who gets to talk? Well, there's a cir- there's a circle keeper, um, and the circle keeper doesn't always have to be the teacher. I mean, that's also important. Um, you've got to you've got to when you're creating a community, you've got to relinquish power. Mm-hmm. You do. Mm-hmm. You have to relinquish power. You don't have to be the person talking all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's, <laughs> what's really helpful with this is a, is a, is a talking piece. Um, and so what you want out of a talking piece is you want something that has some significance to you, uh, some value to you or, or other students, um, you know, generally things that have stories attached to okay, it. Okay. So not a koosh ball. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking that's usually I mean, what got passed around in circles when I was in school. It's past the koosh ball, so it's got to be something more more important than that. Yeah, the 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 more um, you know the the more significant the story attached to the talking piece, the better. Okay. Um, and and you know that that can come in a different a lot of different forms of of ways. Um, my wife and I made a, a Halloween costume one year. Um, and so I have pieces of my Halloween costume that I use as a talking piece. Sometimes huh. I have, um, I have gifts that have been given from students, from parents. Um, you know, I have, I have magnets, um, that I've gotten when I've traveled. Um, you know, it, hmm. it, it doesn't have to be something sacred to your culture. It can be just something that has a, a nice story attached yeah. Uh, really, really what's, what's really big with this is, is giving, uh, we tell stories to make these different connections with people. Um, so if you, you know, one of the things that makes, uh, one of the things that makes for easy personal relationship building is telling stories. And any time that you can put something in there that has a story attached to it, that has a connection to your life, you, in a sense, become more human to your kids. Yeah. And, and they want to learn from someone that they like more often than they want to learn from someone uh, that's cold and, and distant. Right, right. Um, you know, they, they like learning from people that they like and look up to. Mm-hmm. Um, the more that they know about you, again, the less, that they're, the less possibility that they're going to do something harmful for, to you intentionally. Absolutely. Um, and that's just, that's just what it is. Um, so, so you need to talk in peace. That's, that's, okay. and they pass the talk in peace. They can, you know, that, that's really up to you then at that point, how you want that to manifest. I'm going to take a quick break to thank this episode's other sponsor, PeerGrade. PeerGrade is a platform that makes it easy to facilitate peer review in your classroom. Students review each other's work while PeerGrade takes care of anonymously assigning reviewers and delivering all the relevant insights to teachers. With PeerGrade, students learn to think critically and take ownership of their learning. They also learn to write kind and useful feedback for their peers. PeerGrade is free to use for teachers and students. To learn more, visit cultopedagogy.com slash PeerGrade, P-E-E-R-G-R-A-D-E. Now let's get back to the interview. 
I'm noticing something here on the notes that you took that you haven't mentioned. I'm not sure if you're planning on getting it, but it says reintegrative shaming. <laughs> it's a very yeah. interesting phrase. Reintegrative shaming. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of my favorite things in the world. Um, <laughs> it is. It is because it's a it's a it's it's a it's a different way of approaching child behavior that I don't think that we utilize a lot. Uh, I think what we do is, um, you know, we're prone as humans to 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 typecast a kid. You know, they develop a they develop a reputation, and, and we go with that. Yeah. You know, um, so what integrative shaming is is it's communicating to the student that you know, um, I I know that you're a good person. I know that you're trying. I know that you're doing the best you can. But that action was shameful. It wasn't a good action. You shouldn't have done that. It's bad. You are not a bad person, but the thing that you did or the choice that you made was bad. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 the conversation of framing the action or the thing that they've done as not being pleasurable or being shameful rather than communicating to the kid that they are. Mm. Okay. So it, it is, it's, it's, the goal is to make them associate a negative feeling with what they did to feel somewhat shameful about it, but not feel that, they, that it is about them as a person. It's the choice they made. That was something that they should regret. Right, 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 okay. right. And which is true. <laughs> it's true. Yes. You know, yes. If, you, if you communicate to a kid over and over again, that they're a piece of, you know what, then guess yeah. what they start to become. Like exactly yeah. <laughs> what you're telling them, right? <laughs> if you want them yeah. to be a good person, you remind them, hey, you are a good person. But this choice that you made was bad. And that's really how they should look at it too, right? I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> so you, you've also got something here about restorative mindsets. And you mentioned that actually at the beginning when you said that you practiced RJ and that now you use a restorative mindset in your role. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? You know, everything that a kid does shouldn't have to have a consequence. Mm. I mean, it, it shouldn't necessarily, um, unless it's necessary. If that makes sense. And so what I, that's me- going to blow a lot of people's minds to hear that. <laughs> well, I mean, let's just, let's just call it what it is. I mean, if, if, if a kid, if a kid, you know, gets angry and says something to another kid and that kid gets mad at that kid, do they need detention for that? Or do they need to just fix the problem and not be mad at each other? Mm-hmm. Probably just fix the problem, and not be mad at each other and go on about their lives. Right. They don't need a punishment for that. Yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah. they didn't go up to school like, Hey, I'm gonna fight with this kid. Unless something's very raw. <laughs> right. Cause right. Cause right. kid, like, you know, it's something that kills me. Um, it's it's that mindset of you remembering what it was like for you to be in school, for you to be a, a, a teenager trying to just get through life in that awkward stage, in that emotional stage. And, you know, when we were different stages of our lives, we weren't thinking of the things that we we notice now as adults, if that yeah. makes sense. Oh, yeah. And so when you remember that. Then it's really easy for you to go, well, they just made that mistake. They just need to shake hands and move away. <laughs> you, know? Right. <laughs> you know, maybe it's better that you just say sorry for this one, buddy. You know, uh, <laughs> maybe maybe your written apology is a good idea. Maybe you should reflect on this. You know, 
they don't need to be suspended because they, they chewed gum in class. I mean, let's be honest. Oh. <laughs> I'm just I'm just yeah. saying. I know. Like yes. some some <laughs> it's it's this is the idea that, you know, maybe the maybe the punishment or lack thereof should actually kind of fit the crime. Right, right, <laughs> and, right. And and if they didn't do anything wrong to the to the class or the community and they just did something messed up to another student, they can handle that between the two students. You could facilitate that. It teaches them, hey, you know, you have to be accountable for your actions because your actions do have impact on other students without having them sit in detention, right? Right, right. Well, and do you think, I mean, you think that teachers do take things too personally sometimes? Yeah, that's a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, (laughs) I mean, I get it. I get it. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we have to work on ourselves about um, because it's really easy for us to think that students' behavior is about us, but we know it's not. We know psychologically they're not even thinking about us. They're thinking yeah. about them. Right. <laughs> yes. They're, they're, their mind is completely on them 24-7. They're not thinking about us. They're not – like their actions aren't happening like as as an intentional – thing to derail our lesson that we spent that we you know worked on till about midnight you know like (laughs) i get it i get it you spent a lot of time on that unit you spent a lot of time on that lesson i get it but sometimes your kids are going to do things that have nothing to do with you that have more to do with what's going on in their lives again let's remember they they don't have sick days Mm -hmm. they don't have bereavement leave yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah, like if we're if we if someone dies that's close to us, we can take some days off and we can, you know, deal with it. They can't. They don't have that opportunity. No, they just have to show up and push through. Right. If something traumatic happens to them, they don't have they don't get a chance to, to say they don't decide that they can take the day off. They don't get that opportunity. They have to be there. So, you know, with about. Out of I mean, most schools, what are we? Most schools are like 500 to, to, to 2,000 kids. Mm-hmm. You got to figure in in America with all of the different variables that's happening in different households that one of your kids has ha, just had the, the worst night of their lives. Yeah. Oh. And they come into school because they have to. And, and I'm going to guarantee you reacting – in the most negative way to them might be the last straw for them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's got nothing to do with your lesson. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Nothing, nothing. Or you as a person. Right. So it's been two years at your school now that you've been implementing RJ, correct? Well, I was at a different school. I was at a different school. I was I at gotcha, a, gotcha. yeah. And now I'm at this school. Okay. So can you talk to us a little bit about some of the successes that you've had, either either school? Yeah. So uh, I had a student last year. Um, you know, one of the things that um, these personal relationships um, create is, you know, you give you give kids someone in their corner um, when they don't necessarily feel like they have someone in their corner. Mm. Um, you, the teacher can do that. And, and that's, 
Um, that's something I had the pleasure of doing, being the, the advocate for the kid. Um, because the kid then gains trust. And now, you know, now you're the person that they're in your class and they really want to pass your class. They really want to pass your class. They now, yeah. they're now motivated because someone's on their side. And, and I don't mean on their side, like I believe every single thing that happens to them, but I encourage, I, I, I learn more about them. The kids that the, your toughest kids, your toughest kids, you need to become the best friend of. Because when you do that, when you do that, over time, you start to see the growth that they have because they start to trust you. They start to trust, you know, that you have their best interests and that, you know, when they mess up, they'll actually listen to you telling them that. Right. And so I had I had some students that, you know, they had made some poor choices in their lives, um, but they also had, you know, been dealt a pretty crappy hand uh in life and and i don't think i would have found that out had i went digging for that right um because so many people before i got to that child hadn't taken time to do the research and find that out i mean i was looking at this kid's uh cum file and they're getting suspended for gum they're getting suspended from <sighs> bringing food to school and i'm thinking to myself yo they're eating food at school so that's bad because that's like I thought that was something on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, really. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're really suspending kids for food. Are you serious? All right. I mean, wow. Okay. That'll make you hate school for sure. I bet, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so that's that's this kid. I mean, this yeah. is that's the typical kid. They bounced around. This is that I had them. Let me tell you, this kid in particular that I'm thinking. I'm not saying I'm not using names because you know uh, we're we're. I have to, I have to reach out to that kid. I haven't put that kid's mom in a bit. So I got to, I have to, I'm now, now that I'm thinking about this, I need to call, check in and see how they're doing. But yeah, uh, that kid had, let's see, I taught ninth grade English. That child had transferred multiple times that year schools until they got to our school and in my class. And they stayed in my class and at our school for the longest period of time. <laughs> like wow. that they had been in the grade. Wow. And was passing classes and was showing up to class. And so we're talking about a kid we're talking about a kid that's defiant. We're talking mm-hmm. about a kid that was like like in a gang. Yeah. But what we don't realize as adults is that that defiance is them realizing that they have very little control in their lives and they're trying to take some control of something. Mm. Gosh, I'm, I'm feeling so guilty listening to this because I'm thinking about a kid who showed up one of my last years that I was in the classroom and, it, and I had heard the same thing about him, that he had been in three different schools that year. And of course, he comes in partway through the year. And my first thought was to be irritated because it was going to mess up my roster and it was going to, yep. and he was, you know what I mean? And now I'm just <laughs> yeah, thinking, oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> I've I've been there. No, no, I'm, I'm yeah. no, I understand. I've been there. Like there's there's a there's a portion of when you when you when you like get educated on this and you read mm. up on it and you start to look at the mindset that really is a change and shift, you get mad at yourself. Yeah. Because you can think back at that kid that you gave up on or yeah. that you know you were really hard on 
because they were just such a prick in your class. You just couldn't <laughs> stand. Like, you know, I, I, I know, and I know this is, sounds really terrible, but yes, every, I'm sure every person listening to this right now, you can name that kid yeah. that is just, yeah. when they show up in your classroom, you're like, oh my God, oh, you're here today. <laughs> but you yes. know what? But you know what? Oh. That kid is the kid that's there every day. You know mm. why that kid is there every day? Because mm. they don't want to be at home. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. something yeah. is going terrible in their life. That's why they're appeal to you. They're appeal to you because they are severely hurt and or damaged. Because if they weren't, they'd be just like every other kid in your class, sitting down, paying attention, listening, following directions, because they have a home when they go to that is that is loving environment where, yeah. with people that they want to they want to aspire to show that they can do well. And they they have people that they care about seeing them doing well. And so they have the mindset of I'm going to do I'm going to do my best and I'm going to you know, do well in school. Every kid has that when they show up to school, except those kids that need our love. Yeah. So I, I got us off track. So this kid that's that you're fine. talking about, because you were about to tell me some stuff that's been going on with this kid. He, he, he stayed longest at your school. That was the longest period of time that he had been. No, she, in she, she, oh, okay. She was, okay. Oh got yeah. It. She was, and she was a little, yeah, she was, she was into the, she was into the gang life. Um, yeah. and, you know, it's one of those things where um, I think what we do is, uh, you know, when I was getting back to uh, that dehumanization, uh, we yeah. do. Mm -hmm. uh, because we, we look at the kid in the colors and then we judge them. We judge them. We think they're dangerous. They're going to mm -hmm. do something horrible. We don't realize that there's a reason they joined that gang. Mm -hmm. Because we've, we've, we've done enough to shame in our society crime. We've done enough to, like... Like, you don't think that they think they're a piece of <laughs> because yeah. they're in a gang. Yeah. You don't think that they have some sort of self-esteem issue because they're in a gang. And those mm -hmm. kids are some of the brightest, most forethought students. Mm. They could be your best kid. Yeah. But they're not because somewhere down the line, something went terribly wrong. And they thought they can find solace and other kids that had something terribly wrong happen to them. So, you know, it's 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 that kind of situation we're talking about. These kids need more love, not less. And mm. that's exactly what we give them. So, what tell me what else has has gone gone well in your school in terms of, you know, are you are you I mean, I'm assuming that you taught in schools prior to this where it was a more traditional model. So, what else are oh, you totally, liking yeah. about being in a more RJ-oriented school? Is it just you or is it the whole school? Uh, okay, so the school that I'm at in in Oakland has been using uh, restorative justice for 5 years. Um, the school okay. that I left in San Jose had just started. Uh, okay. I was I was part of the the group that um, you know, really wanted to get it started and implemented. Um, and one of the things that I, I noticed at both of those places that I didn't really notice in, in traditional settings is the effect of mediation. Um, mm -hmm. When you start teaching kids that they can um, talk out their issues rather than fight about them, they stop fighting about them because hmm. they don't really want to fight. <laughs> right. Fighting right. takes a lot of work. I mean, yeah. <laughs> 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 fighting is scary too. I mean, you yeah. know, oh, yeah. you know, 
you go into it and someone could hurt you and you can get hurt. And so mm. if you can if you can talk it out and you think that's a possibility that someone might also want to talk it out with you, then you're more prone to communicate and talk it out. And I've noticed that happening at um at, at, at both schools. Um when you when you emphasize mediation and you you have kids um, because kids are going to talk about it. they're going to talk about it with other kids they're going to talk about what the process was like and what it yeah. was like to sit down and, and and talk out their issues and they're going to be more likely to want to seek that out do you offer is it sort of formal mediation services where it's almost like advertised and the kids know what they need to do to request a, a session or a mediation uh, god that's a good question uh, <laughs> <laughs> um you know, at the school I'm at now, it's kind of more of that. At the school that I started, we just sniffed out conflicts. Uh, um, we just because you you could tell. I mean, mm. when you're in high school, it's not a big surprise who isn't getting along with someone else. I mean, yeah. it's it's not a very big secret. I mean, right, right. So, you know, especially in some some uh, some sparse areas of the country, uh, it's probably easier than others. Uh, because they're 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 actively doing something conf- conflicting with each other, like they're they're arguing with one another, or they're they're yelling at one another, or they're threatening to fight one another, or they're you know they're they're saying something on on you know social media or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you can you can find the conflict if you look hard enough. Right, right. <laughs> you know, well, and that's part of being in tune with your kids and being that being part of the culture, right. having a trusting relationship is that they're going to reveal a little bit more of that to you. Oh, totally. You're going to know more about your kids. The more that you sought, seek out information about your kids, the more you're going to learn about your right. kids. Then you're going to know exactly who you need to make, um, who you need to, you know, when you need to be a mandated reporter. You're going to know uh, when <laughs> when that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to get more opportunities for that. Um, you're going to know who needs to seek counseling and who needs to uh, see a therapist. That's going to be obvious. Um, you're going to know who needs special services and who needs to get special services because it's you're going to know you're going to know you're going to be able to 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 by learning more about your kids and learning more about their motivations and what makes them tick um you know who's trying you know who's not trying you know who's trying their dangness and they need more help um and 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 that's that's something that makes our jobs easier to do so you're seeing at, at sort of both of these schools, you're seeing a reduction in sort of physical fighting and I'm assuming a, a reduction in suspensions and expulsions. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. yeah. What a question. I mean, but but again, it's because the kids get along. They just mostly. get along better. Yeah. Yeah. They just they get along better. So they fight less. They there's 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 less reason for them to fight because everyone knows everyone else. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not who's that kid over there. I don't know anything about him. It's, oh man, you know, you know, Tommy yelled at me the other day. Well, you know what's going on with Tommy, right? Mm -hmm. Oh man, I heard about that. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. We should, you should sit down and talk at lunch. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's when you teach them how to fix their problems, they, they fix their problems. It's it's pretty incredible. (laughs) So let's let's spend these last few minutes. Let's talk now to to the teachers who are listening. They're like, this sounds good. I, I think our school needs this. It might be an administrator. It might be a single teacher. So what advice would you give to people who who want to start making that shift from traditional discipline practices to an RJ approach? Oh, I got a list for you. I got okay. a list for you. 
Okay, so the first thing, um, first and foremost, um, investigate, read more into RJ. Um, the book I always give is the, I always uh, advise is the the little book of restorative justice by uh, Howard Zare. Always, because mm-hmm. it, it's a quick read; it's like a hundred pages. Yes, um, it is. I just read it. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it's a real, it's a real it's quick really read too. Mm-hmm. Um, and keep keep reading into it. Keep reading into it. Um, I've read so far four or five books on it. Um, I, I I have a question thirst for knowledge because. You know, just going to give you more ideas um, the more you read. Um, there are, uh, there are, look into getting, um, there are lesson books for it too. Okay. Um, you know, you can always look, find those on Amazon. They're, mm-hmm. they're out there. Um, and a lot of them are, are really deep and detailed and, and they, they take a lot of the prop, a lot of the, the, the difficulty away from you. Um, but, you know, but that's first and foremost, right? Mm-hmm. Um You've got to dedicate yourself to identifying your biases and your triggers within your classrooms. Like you, you have to work on that. And that's something I had to work on. What, you know, it's really painful for us to consider this, but if we walk into our classrooms and we really try to believe that an approach to colorblindness is one that's effective, well, we're really shortchanging our kids' lives because if, if 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 we're just constantly telling them, hey, you know, I don't see color, when they leave your classroom, someone's going to see their color. Yeah. yeah. And someone's going to act possibly mm. on the fact that they see their color. So mm-hmm. we're not setting them up. We're setting them up for failure if we don't do our own investigation of do I have any biases against any particular type of culture, any particular type of culture activity? Um, any of my students or do, do I have any, do I have any things that trigger certain behavior or fears or, or, or anger that they do, that they do naturally? Um, you know, take, taking a step back and wondering, is it me or is it them? Hmm. Right. Yeah. Is what they did really that bad or is it me? Um, that work, that work is, is some tough work to do, but it can only, it, it can only happen if you work on that one. Yeah. Boy, I, that um, really, you, I think until somebody has actually embraced that idea, cause I, I hear that all the time, the colorblindness claim and, and, I think that is the most difficult shift to make for somebody because I think if somebody is going to start looking at their biases, they they feel like what that means is admitting that they are a racist and they they're making no, a no, huge it's leap. It's, it's, they're making a huge not. leap from saying they're colorblind to saying I'm a racist, which is like no, no you have to just realize that we all have right. biases. Yeah. We do. We do. We do. Okay, so here's the realistic thing. We've grown up in a culture that has this stuff in it. Yeah. Like, like, let's think about it. Our cartoons, when we grew up, Looney Tunes, there were Looney Tunes that had racial, insen- racially insensitive things in it. Like, there are things in our TV today that have racially insensitive things. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, yeah. this is embedded into our culture. You're no more racist than, well, the culture that you identify to. So <laughs> be aware being aware of where these thoughts and these issues and these triggers come from doesn't make you racist. Right. Right. It's, it's willful. It's, it's willful. It's willful ignorance of it. That does, if that makes sense. 
Can you think of an example of a pretty common type of bias that you see a lot of teachers having that end up resulting in sort of discipline issues that if they were to just recognize that thing as a bias, it would actually prevent these things from escalating? Uh, well, there's a there's a few. I mean, is it really a big deal that your kid wears a hat? Um, <laughs> is, it, is it? Is it? I mean, is it that big of a deal that they wear a hat? I mean, I get, you know, maybe they should take it off in class, but, you know, are, are we, is it really a problem for them to wear it on campus? Is there is there a problem with your kid wearing a do rag? Really? Is that yeah. that's not a gang thing? I've never seen that be a gang thing. That's really yeah. random. I don't get that. Um, is it is it a problem for kids to wear hijabs? I don't get that. Is it? I I don't. Right. You know, um, those sort of things. You know, right. um, mm-hmm. sometimes we make rules without thinking about the kids that are showing up at our schools. Right. So again, but that's all that that goes back into like understanding who your kids are. Yeah. If you know that it's part of their culture to do that, allow them to do that. Right. Then it's not defiance. (laughs) Right. It's not defiance because it's something that they do. It's accepted in their culture. Why not let them do that? Um. You know, you, then you're fighting a battle. You're, you're fighting not a battle with the kid. You're fighting a battle with them, their way of being, their livelihood, mm. and, and their connection to their culture and their family and their friends. I mean, aren't we supposed to be working with that, not against that? I mean, yeah. um, so, 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 because uh, <laughs> I know we're, we're, we're running short. Let me make sure I get all this <laughs> okay. stuff in here. Yeah. Uh, so it's the bias, the bias training. Um, you need to dedicate your classroom to building culture. You've got to dedicate to building culture in school. So you're, you have to work on finding ways to include kids in what's going on, like allowing more student voice, allowing more student opportunities for them to display their culture, act on their culture, be a part of their culture. Um, you need to give them opportunities to learn about people that look like them, that, mm. that are from their culture, that represent them. Um, you have to give them opportunities to see people that look like them on their mm. on campus. You've got to bring more people on campus, adults, caring adults on campus. Find ways to bring more caring adults on campus that look like mm. your student body. Mm. Um, you need so so. Uh, I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make some people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> but if all if like 99% of your staff is white, and 99% of your student body is black and Latino, you're going to need to figure out a way to get more black and Latino staff members in your school. Definitely. Yep. Period. There's a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean firing Absolutely. your staff. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't mean firing your staff. It, it means finding ways to give, to bring more of those caring adults on campus. You yeah. can find, you, there are ways to make that happen. You can hire you can be intentional about hiring different paras. You can be you can be mm-hmm. intentional about hiring aides. You can be intentional about hiring coaches. You can be intentional about hiring student or uh, hiring mentors and consultants. You can find ways to get more people on your campus that care about kids that look like your kids. Yeah. And you should. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and. If you if you also then find ways to learn about the neighborhoods, the communities and find ways to bring people from the community 
and in the neighborhoods into your school, you're probably you're creating a school culture that the students can feel more at home in, like be connected to Mm. so that if you so happen to have a situation where you feel that you have to suspend the kid, there are so many resources around you that you can tap into to really create the type of experience that you want out of that and make it into a consequence that actually would be viable. But again, that's going to take some creativity and that's going to depend on the student. I have so many more questions to ask you. Every, everything you're saying, I want to like follow that thread. I hate that we're, we're out of time, but. I'm always willing to come back. I'm always I hate, willing to come back. I know. Back. Well, and I also know how much gets, there's so many of these finer threads that get pulled on in the Voxer chat. You all talk constantly about oh, yeah. so yeah. many, <laughs> so many, I can't keep up with it. Uh, so much uh, every day. It's, it's funny because when I first sort of joined that group and I started listening, I was like, huh, I'm not hearing anything like about circles or about like the stuff that you associate because it was got, it was a lot more about this relationship building and I, I think it's just really interesting. Like it, it really contributed to my understanding of RJ as a much more holistic thing. It, yeah, because it is. It is. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think what think what people want to do nine times out of ten um, in education is they want to take a thing and put their own spin on it, and they want to just make it easy. And yeah. this isn't easy. This is. Right. This has to be intentional. You have to be intentional about the things you're doing with this. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And then you're like, <laughs> and I don't listen. That's why I started off with the, uh, you know, you have to build the personal relationships because if you're not, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yep. And that's just that's yeah. not that's not just plug and play. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. If you're not building, if you're not building personal relationships, staff to students, staff to staff, students to students, you know, <laughs> yep. admin yep. to student staff and teach mm -hmm. and all that. If you're not mm -hmm. building personal relationship connections throughout the school, it's not going to work. Not going to work. And you have to be intentional about it. Victor, tell us where people can find you online and about the different opportunities for joining up with the RJ community. Oh, well, I mean, our we're I, I'm 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 blessed that you'd even say that. I mean, I think the RJ community <laughs> is so much larger than the little our little voxer chats and yeah well, i know chats, but, but you're providing such an important window into that i really feel like it's a it's an it's a gateway i i i like the i like the terminology gateway i'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna roll with that I like right. that one. <laughs> uh okay so you could find me you can find me uh on twitter voxer instagram um my uh my name on them is uh mr small 215 that's uh m ara s m a l l 215 um the same name for twitter voxer and instagram um we've got the the rj chat on twitter every sunday um and that's that's uh 8 p.m eastern 7 central i think 6 mountain 5 uh pacific west coast time the hashtag for the for the the chat the Twitter chat is that RJ League chat. That is RJ League chat. There's also okay. um, 
the Twitter account that's uh, RJ League Chat too that you can you can follow. That's helpful okay, too. Okay, so it's the same thing. It's the at symbol or the hashtag is both. Both will get you yeah, to that chat. Yeah. Okay. Both both will get you there. Um, and then uh, if you if you want to join the the Voxer group, it's a little you know you can you can find it in a couple of different ways if you Google it. But you know the easiest way is just uh, I tweet the link to the Voxer chat. Oh, so, there you uh, go. Yeah, you could just go to that. Okay, I can also put a link to it on the on the blog post that that'll go with this interview too. Oh yeah, by all means. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Victor, thank you so much. This has been really – you're great to talk to. This has been really, really good. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, <laughs> I'm happy about that. Uh, it's, it's really cool. Thank I you. Will, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, no problem. I hope this helps some you know, schools make this shift. And um, you know, I hope a lot of people who are – I hope that they get the message that this is not something that they're going to just start tomorrow and everything's going to be like completely different starting tomorrow, that, that it's a slow process. Well, okay. So one thing that I will say is that if you start trying to build personal relationships tomorrow, you're going to see the effects of it. Yeah. Like, like I'm not saying that it's going to be perfect, but it's going to be a whole heck of a lot different. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Day one. For links to all the resources mentioned in this episode... Visit cultofpedagogy.com, click podcast, and choose episode 89. To get a weekly email from me about my newest blog posts, podcast episodes, and products, sign up for my mailing list at cultofpedagogy.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. This podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. To learn more, visit edupodcastnetwork.com.